welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 191. I'm your host, Derek Moore. This week, we're going to ask, is the Fed going broke? Are they going to go bankrupt? What's going on there? All right, I'm going to get into that. Uh, by the way, thank you for all the loyal listeners. You can, of course, email me at derek.moore at zegafinancial.com. That's D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Z is in Zebra, E is in Eddie, G is in George, A is in Apple. Financials up to you to spell correctly. All right. A couple things that are that came out this week. Uh, so I want to talk about the Fed and what's going on. You know, they're, they're not able to, they have liabilities now. So let me kind of clean that up for you. I think it's something you're going to start to see in the financial media and probably some politicians as well. And it also looks like the Treasury is sort of quietly preparing to do a little bit of, uh, how should we put this, uh, liquidity stabilization in the Treasury market. And maybe I'll touch on that briefly. And so this week, one of the things that got passed around, I saw it on uh, the Daily Shot, which uh, they have a Twitter feed, they have uh, a couple other things, and those get passed around. There was um, a, a chart that was passed and it's liabilities and capital, liabilities, earnings remittances due to the U.S. Treasury. And it was negative. What does that mean? Well, essentially what it means is that, so you think about the Federal Reserve. They have a balance sheet and they hold treasury bonds in there. They hold mortgage-backed securities and another, another you know, bunch of things. And if you think about it, they take in interest, they receive interest on those. And normally what happens is, and in fact, over the last, uh, I don't know how many years, they, when they get the interest and their interest exceeds anything that they have to pay out, and I'll get to the, the liability side in a second, uh, they call it Federal Reserve remittances to the U.S. Treasury. You see, when the Fed holds a bond, let's imagine they just hold one bond, $1,000 in a 10-year treasury at 3%. And you say, okay, well, what does that mean? It means every year that they hold that, they're getting $30 in interest, 3% on that $1,000 bond. And that bond can go up and down in price, depending upon when interest rates go up, interest rates go down. But they don't have to sell it. Uh, in fact, they, they generally, you know, they haven't been selling bonds in the open market. They have not been purchasing bonds. They've been letting some bonds run off the balance sheet. And that's just saying that as they mature, they don't take the, uh, you know, they don't take the money they receive and, and reinvest it into other bonds. But to give you an idea, I have a chart. This is from Federal Reserve Bank of New York and Hutchins Center at Brookings. And they have earnings remittances. And so, for example, in 2021, it was about $109 billion that they received an interest and the Fed doesn't keep that interest after expenses and things like that. Uh, so that's the net interest they receive and they write a check to the U.S. Treasury. And the U.S. Treasury is the same place that you and I's tax dollars go. 2020 was $86.9 billion, 2019, $54.9. And you kind of go back and back and, you know, 2012, $88.4 billion. So quite a bit. And each year... They, as a bond comes due, they either reinvest it uh, or if they don't reinvest it, they essentially destroy the money. Uh, but they, they just return the, uh, 
uh, the interest to the to the treasury. So what happened recently? Well, there's this chart that got sent out, and basically what's happened is the earnings remittances due to the U.S. Treasury, and this is so. If I look at August, it was about a billion, little over a billion dollars that excess earnings remittances to the U.S. Treasury in August. But then you see a sharp drop off, and in September it was negative 2.14 billion, and October so far it's minus 5.2 billion. What does that mean? Does that mean the Fed is going to go bankrupt? Not so fast. Uh, basically, what happens here is, and the reason why these are negative, it's because interest the Fed is paying is now exceeding the interest that they receive on their their holdings on their balance sheet. And part of the reason why that is, they have a lot of treasuries that have much lower interest rates that they're holding on their balance sheet right now compared to what interest rates are right now. And obviously interest rates, especially the Fed funds rate, uh, the SOFA rate, all these types of things, those have increased. Uh, Fed funds, of course, is 3.5%. I projected to go up, at least according to the Fed funds futures, to somewhere four and a half, four point six. Some people say higher, but if if you look at, I mean, even if you just go and you say, okay, forget about their balance sheet. What's the average interest rate on all U.S. Treasury marketable securities that are outstanding? This is available from Treasury uh, Direct or Treasury.gov. On bills, the average rate is about two point four five percent. On notes, one point five nine. Bonds, three percent. And then you have tips, 0.46%. And there's some floating rate notes, but floating rates aren't, aren't that significant uh, in there. And you say, well, okay, well, they're receiving interest. So what does that mean? Why, why are they now running a deficit last few months? And the reason why that is, is because they pay interest on excess reserve balances. So that's where banks can take their capital, their excess capital, and they can park it at the Fed, and the Fed pays them interest. And so as of, it looks like this was as of the 24th of October, that was, it's 3.15%. Okay, so they're paying out more interest on reserves than they're getting in, from their holdings on their balance sheet. And then the other thing that they're doing now, and I've, I did an episode on this, I, I referenced it, uh, overnight reverse repo agreements. And just to simplify it real quick, The Fed, in an overnight repurchase agreement, or ONRR, I guess is the acronym, the Fed takes a short, very short-term bond or bill or or note. You know, these could be bonds, but then only have a little bit of time to maturity. So things that are going to mature rather quickly. And what they do is a bank, or let's say a money market fund, has all this cash. They can't hold cash in the money market fund. So what they do is they enter into this overnight reverse repo agreement, repurchase agreement, and the Fed lends out its collateral. So it lends out, let's say, uh, a treasury bill, and they get the cash from the bank. And right now, the rate on on those types of uh, things, if I look at that, it's uh, as of uh, this is at the October eighteenth or so. It's about 3.05%. So what's going on is as interest rates have gone up 
and the interest that the Fed funds goes up. That means the SOFA rate goes up, it go, the overnight reverse repo rates go up, and of course, interest on excess reserves go up. And so it appears that they're paying out more than they're taking in right now in interest, and so they're running a deficit. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, what it means, and I'll put a link in this. There, there's some good, uh, really good piece that looks like the Brookings Institute, Brookings Institute put out, sort of explaining this in in detail. But what happens is, the Fed changed. Um, it, it's a little bit in the weeds, you know, to get into on a podcast. But the Fed has has some accounting rules and things like that. But essentially when they have losses, meaning theoretically money they owe the, because they, they, they're owing, they owe the interest they receive on their treasury holdings back to the treasury. But since they're paying out more interest and, you know, the, the overnight reverse repo market right now, the last check was about $2.26 trillion. They're running, they have an IOU. And so what they call this is a deferred asset. And I know it sounds weird, like an IOU, and it's sort of a liability. So why are they calling it a deferred asset? Uh, don't worry about that right now. That's what they call it. And so basically what happens is if they run a deficit, what happens is they sort of have an IOU to the treasury. And then in theory, eventually, as they receive more interest or they receive net credits, everything they're paying out, everything they're taking in, they would eventually pay pay down that deferred asset, okay? But you're going to hear about this, and basically it's just they're paying out more money on excess reserves, overnight repos, things like that, compared to what they're getting from their existing holdings of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. And the reason why that is is because those have been on there for a while, and they're holding stuff that they've held prior to rates going up. And remember, they're not buying bonds, right? They're not buying new bonds. Now, they may be purchasing bonds, but they're not adding to their balance sheet. And let me explain that. There's a difference between expanding your balance sheet, which means buying more bonds to increase the size, or they're just, as bonds come off, they do rebuy some bonds to control sort of what the, the balance sheet is going to look like. But their balance sheet has been shrinking. Okay. So that's, that's kind of what you're seeing there. And I know it's a little bit interesting, but I, I know that the, this is going to get picked up. And I think it's going to come up probably anytime you know, the Fed goes in front of Congress or the Senate. Sometimes Jay Powell does those things. And maybe they get asked about it at the next Fed meeting. But that's kind of what's, what's going on there. Another question that comes up is, um, and now some of this stuff, you know, I'm not fully versed and completely an expert on, does this cause any problems? Uh, one of the questions that comes up in the Brookings piece, are Fed losses a problem for the treasurer and the taxpayer? And they say, although unexpected increases in interest rates can lead, the Fed, lead to Fed losses and lower than expected remittances to the treasury, uh, they're saying, okay, there are a number of reasons why losses for the Fed are not equivalent to losses for the taxpayer. And so basically what they're saying there is, yeah, I mean, if you're the treasury, and that includes you know tax receipts, corporate and, and personal, and other things. Yeah, that money's not going back to the treasury. So in theory, that is uh, you know not helping to. 
it could increase deficits because if you're not taking in money, you know, if you were expecting 100 billion and instead you're not getting that 100 billion, you could have a shortfall. But they can't, the Fed can't default in any way. They just have this deferred uh, liability that eventually they would, uh, you know, they would sort of pay pay off. Um, so I'll put a link to in the show notes to that. The other question that somebody asked me was, you know, was this expected? Is this, you know, sort of something that uh, anybody foresaw coming? And lo and behold, yeah, uh, they actually sort of did, although maybe not to this extent. I was reading a paper uh, from back in 2013. And who doesn't read a 30-page paper titled Finance and Economics Discussion Series, Divisions of Research and Statistics and Monetary Affairs, Federal Reserve Board, Washington, D.C. And it was the Federal Reserve's balance sheet and earnings a primer and projections. And so the I'm going to read all 30 pages and the footnotes. No, I'm not going to do that. Basically, what they did was they did some projections and they had a baseline they have uh, with higher interest rates, higher interest rates with sales of treasuries, baseline with sales, and then sort of baseline. And one of the things that you'll, well, you're not going to see this, I'm, I'm looking at it, is they did model where if they were, uh, they could have realized capital losses if they had to sell treasuries. Remember, they don't have to sell treasuries. They're not necessarily going into the open market and selling treasuries right now. Uh, but they, uh, they said, look, if we had to do open market sales and we had to sell some stuff at losses because interest rates had normalized, remember this 2013 when interest rates are zero and their projections were interest rates go up a little bit, uh, they did model you could have some some capital losses. The other thing they model is income projections. Again, baseline, baseline with sales and treasuries, higher interest rates, higher interest rates with sales. And really, without selling bonds, they did not project that income would go negative. And so I, I think, and in one of their models too, they they have what's called a deferred asset. And in one of their models, though, they did. And in that one, basically said, look, you know, if, if there are higher interest rates, our models actually say uh, 2016, 2019, of course, it's way past that now. They thought they could have a deferred uh, asset, which is your IOU, get up to about uh, $20 billion. So the Fed did do a little bit of work on this back in 2013. And the reason why they did is because they said, we expanded our balance sheet so much. We have these other assets on there. What if we had to actually go out and sell bonds and take a loss on those? And then what if interest rates went up and we had this mismatch between the interest rates we pay and also the interest rates we receive? So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. That is 30 pages. And it's, uh, it's sort of interesting, it's, but they have a lot of graphs and things like that. Um, but one thing I just note, there are, uh, the way they model it again is one is they're selling things off the balance sheet. The Fed is not doing that right now. The Fed is letting things run off the balance sheet as they mature, but they're not going out into the open market and selling things. So put a link to that. Uh, that's a little primer on that. The other thing I wanted to bring up is that 
I did notice uh, Janet Yellen, uh, Treasury Secretary, had said something in, I think it was an interview or something I saw, uh, talking about illiquidity in the Treasury market. And that's something that's been popping up. I think the Financial Times had a piece recently where they actually uh, went through, and the title was, was the, the piece, The Market in Treasury is Strong, is Storing Up for Trouble. And I saw a Market Watch article that was passed to me as well, talking about the illiquidity. And some banks and, and people have mentioned that. And what does that mean? It really means that when you have a market that's a liquid market, there's buyers and sellers on each side. It's a functioning market. People want to buy. People want to sell. And somebody on CNBC noted that right now, especially at the longer end of the curve, uh, besides the Fed, and the Fed has been taking out as really a, a buyer of treasuries, you know, who else really wants to buy long-duration paper, long-duration, uh, long-time-to-maturity bonds, uh, especially when the short-term or the short-duration stuff, the short-maturity stuff, is higher. We have an inverted curve right now. And so J.P. Morgan uh, talked recently about uh, the J.P. Morgan Index of Treasury Market Liquidity. Uh, they said it, it has deteriorated a little bit. And so Yellen seems to be, I wouldn't be surprised if the Treasury does something, and we saw this with the Bank of England, where you're sort of tightening, but then they're also buying some Treasuries to uh, create liquidity. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens here. And part of the reason why I say that, there is a 91-page report. <laughs> yep, I know. I read some of this. Uh, Control F on Microsoft, by the way, is your friend on this. But uh, there was a uh, Treasury, this is the August, uh, this came out in August 20, yeah, August of this year, uh, fiscal year 2022 Q3 report, Office of Debt Management, Treasury presentation to TBAC. And you might say, what the heck is TBAC? It's Treasury's Borrowing Advisory Committee. Ooh, that's a lot to say. And one of the things that they, they had, and it was sort of buried down in the report, and I'll give you the page number here in a second. Actually, I'll just give it to you now. It's page uh, 6970, uh, 686970, and it's revisiting treasury buybacks. And this would be sort of an open market operation where the treasury would go in and sort of you know, buy back uh, treasuries. And what they did was they looked at this as buybacks as a tool to improve liquidity and cost of, of funding. And this gets really wonky. I, I know, you know the two people who are left listening at this point would probably drop off. Uh, but in here, it seems like they are examining uh, the liquidity issue in markets. And I wouldn't be surprised if Yellen and the Treasury come out with uh, you know something where they uh, start to look at buybacks and they and they look at it uh, because they want to improve liquidity but also the cost of funding and the theory is when you have really good liquid markets as the treasury is issuing more bonds uh, the more liquidity more liquid there is the lower the cost i.e the interest that they have to pay when they auction off new treasuries uh, they can lower that and They've got a, a number of slides here, empirical evidence for how buybacks could improve liquidity. But anyway, when you hear this, basically what I'm saying is this is another thing I'm giving you a little heads up I think is going to be in the news where the Treasury is is potentially going to be buying back some uh, some Treasury bonds, maybe in the open market, 
to help liquidity and they've got a paper in here. I'll put a link in the show notes to this. Actually, I put a link to the Financial Times and in there they have a link in the article. It's TBAC because I, I don't see, I see a PDF on this, but this is the only way I could, uh, I could find that. Uh, and again, it's about 91 pages, so happy reading there. So what does this mean for markets? Well, I think when we look at whether it's the, uh, the stuff that happens in the Treasury or whether stuff that happens in the Fed, I don't know if this has a lot of, uh, I mean, the really strong opinion one way or another of what this could or couldn't do, whether this is an issue or not an issue. I think for you as market watchers and stewards of, the, uh, of assets and also really interested parties, uh, I know many of the, of course, all the audience is listening to this, but they're also watching CNBC, they're reading the Wall Street Journal, reading the Financial Times. And this is stuff that gets a little bit, it's sort of arcane and it's the, the piping. Uh, but I think some of this stuff, I just wanted to go over it because you're going to hear about it. And whether it's, I'll put a link again to, in the show notes to the Overnight Reverse Repo podcast I did where I explain what they are, how they work, and why the Fed, in my opinion, is doing these. But as far as for markets, I mean, this is why we hedge. This is why we, we buy and hedge. Our main focus is hedged equity. And even some fixed income bond stuff we do is sort of defined risk uh, things. And so raise my hand right now and say, you know, we don't know where the market's necessarily going to go. Uh, you really can control, try and control the risk. And, but as interested uh, students of the market, this stuff gets really, really interesting. And I said last week with Jay Pestercelli in our open letter to Jay Powell on the Fed, I'm not sure that continually raising rates this much, this successively in something that was more supply side in the problem or driven by the fiscal policies, uh, whether, you know, the stimulus, sending out checks, uh, just in really increasing the money supply. Um, but like I said, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail for the Fed. So we'll leave it there. We'll see what's going to happen with this. I'll put some links in the show notes. I hope you found this interesting. I try and break down difficult to understand topics sometimes and just kind of go through it and tell you what's going on. Uh, also, look, we have, we've mentioned the idea that post-midterm elections, markets historically, and we don't know what's going to happen this time, but ever, since 1962, and that was when Kennedy had his midterms, markets have, quote unquote, always been higher, just going back to 62, every one of the midterms. And year three of the presidential cycle, which is next year, year three, uh, that tends to, the markets go up about 95% of the time. So in that vein, uh, I'll have a uh, uh, former guest on again, Spencer. Uh, he will come on with me next week, and we're actually going to do, from a market perspective, kind of what the elections mean for markets, and we'll look at every one of the 450 house races over five hours. No, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, but we'll look at some of the races, the, the, you know, the, I'd say the five races that matter, and tell you what we're seeing as we follow this and tell you what historically some of the, the numbers mean and what it potentially might mean for markets. So look for that one as well. And we'll have Jay back on in, uh, in a few weeks as well. All right, everyone, thanks for tuning in. And by all means, send me emails, send me ideas for uh, show topics that you want. I think this one, I, I had a few questions on this, so I thought I would do this one and I'll talk to you all real soon. Bye.